Hey, Physionic Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, just as quick background, this particular piece of content was shot in mostly video form, so there's a lot of graphics. Uh, and this is a dissection of a particular paper looking at resistance training and training to failure and if that's beneficial towards uh, endurance, strength, as well as muscle hypertrophy or muscle growth. If you'd like to actually read that paper in its full, in its entirety, uh, I'll have it linked for you so you can actually dissect it with me. And I would certainly encourage that you go to YouTube and actually watch, you know, so you can actually see what I'm pointing at in terms of the diagrams and things of that nature. Okay, that's all I've got to say, and let's jump right into this episode. Hey everyone, in today's exam and content, we're going to be dissecting a paper that's going to attempt to give us the answer to do you need to train to maximal failure, meaning that every single set will result in failure, or can you use a little bit more conserved approach and get the exact same results as it relates to muscular endurance, one repetition maximum, as well as muscle hypertrophy. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. So before we get into the results of the study, let's figure out exactly what their experimental methods were. So who were they measuring? Uh, what their age was? Uh, what were they measuring? Things of that nature. So the participants of the study were exclusively female. So this does not necessarily mean that we can't extrapolate the results to males, but it is something that we should kind of keep in the forefront of our mind that can there be differences between the sexes that leads to a change or a difference that we might see in males that we might not see in females or vice versa. The other point is that they looked at younger females, so uh, women that were in their 20s primarily. And on top of that, they also looked at physically active individuals, so relatively healthy individuals, but not individuals that had uh, undergone any sort of resistance training in the last six months. Now another point to be made is looking at nutrition, which is certainly a massive variable when it comes to any sort of body composition, uh, training, anything related to that field. And they didn't actually look at nutrition all that much. They essentially just told the participants, they told these women that they need to just maintain their normal diet. So if they had manipulated nutrition a little bit or kind of created kind of a baseline level with a dietitian, that might have helped the study strength. But in terms of telling them to not change anything, that can also serve as at least a, a decent baseline so that we can know that the, the results that we get from this study are not because of sudden changes that might have occurred in nutrition for one group over another group. So in terms of the actual measures, uh, they used four different variables. So they used muscular endurance, one rep max, as well as muscle hypertrophy, so how much the muscle actually grows. And the fourth one is torque. Now we will not be discussing torque, but we will be discussing the other three, mainly because I don't feel 
that I have the know, I don't have the know-how to actually be able to speak effectively on torque. But I do feel like I can talk about the other three, so those are the three that we're going to be focused on. And finally, talking about how they actually split up their participants. So they had a relatively large uh, sample size, so their N was actually quite high, which is great. It's fantastic to see. Now that said, they used three groups. The first group was the failure group. So they had failure at four sets of seven repetitions. And then they had another group where they did four sets of seven repetitions, but it did not go to failure. And then finally, they had a last group, which they probably didn't need, but I think it's still important, and it does kind of create a little bit of variability, gives you a little bit more information on what's really the most important variables when it comes to the results of the study. And the last group was a group that worked out, did not go to failure, and did less volume. So they only did three sets of seven repetitions. So now let's move into the experimental results. What did they actually find? Now the first graph is kind of a housekeeping graph, which is essentially just shows the amount of volume that each condition did. Now remember that the first two groups, the failure group and one non-failure group, did the exact same amount of volume. Now in terms of the last group, they did a little bit less, about 1,500 kilograms less volume. So again, volume would be the sets times the reps times the weight that was actually lifted. Now the next graph is the one that's probably going to actually tell us something. And this is where they measured muscular endurance. So uh, for how many repetitions can they accomplish with good form at the appropriate tempo that the researchers wanted. And it looks like in all three groups that you see an increase in muscular endurance. So they measured at baseline, then they measured five weeks later, and then they measured at the very end at 10 weeks. And they saw an incremental rise in that actual endurance capacity of the muscle. Interestingly, however, they did not find a statistically significant difference between the groups. So that means if you go to failure or if you don't go to failure, volume equated or not, you don't see a change in your endurance capacity. Now the next graph is looking at muscle thickness. So they essentially used an ultrasound and were able to measure the amount of muscle growth through the muscle thickness. So how many more contractile units, how many more structural units were added to that musculature, to that bicep. Now as a quick point on the muscle thickness, they actually had to wait five days before they could actually measure it. So after the last training day, they waited five days to measure it. And the reason for that is because if they hadn't, then there would have still been considerable amounts of edema. So a lot of swelling and water that's uh, found in areas, well, in this particular situation in your arms due to intense resistance training. And the reason that's a problem is because, well, if you have fluid that's filling into that area because your body's trying to repair that area, that doesn't exactly reflect uh, the actual muscle growth. So it's possible that you could get skewed values or increases in particular conditions uh, in which you would have more muscle damage because you would have more edema. Now, going to the actual results, they saw a stepwise increase, so at basal to five weeks to 10 weeks, in the failure group, they saw an increase in muscle hypertrophy or muscle thickness. And then in the volume equated, 
non-failure group, they also saw an increase at five weeks and at 10 weeks that was statistically significant. Now, those two groups actually saw increases in hypertrophy, which was statistically significant from their last group. And that's why I think it's interesting that they added this last group because it does give you a little bit more information. So if the volume was not equated, then you saw lower levels of muscle hypertrophy. And the final graph, which isn't really a graph, it's more of just a table, is the measure of one rep max. So being able to lift a particular weight one time maximally with good form. And what they found is that they saw an increase at five weeks and at 10 weeks in all three conditions with no statistical significance between conditions, meaning that in any scenario, you see the same level of increase in your one rep max, regardless of if you go to failure or if you even equate volume, or at least within that level of volume. And finally, let's discuss the actual findings of this paper. So in terms of muscle endurance, it does not seem that it makes a difference. If you are going to failure, if you are not going to failure and maintaining the exact same volume as if you were to go to failure, or if you were to even take a step back and not do as much volume, it doesn't seem to make a difference. Now that's based off of 10 weeks worth of data. Now I feel like, and this is completely my gut feeling, but if you were to extend that to 20 or 30 weeks, that you might see a slight drop off if you, if you did a little bit less volume. But is it going to be statistically significant? Probably not. Mainly because they only took off one set. So if you eventually get to the point where you have to do 12 sets to maintain your frame, your body, then if you were to then knock off four or five sets off of that continuously for a long period of time, then maybe your endurance would decrease. But within the level of just doing four sets continuously and then just knocking off one set, that may not be enough, at least in that short term of just 10 weeks, to actually see a change or a hurt on your endurance level. Now in terms of muscle thickness, which is pretty telling of muscle hypertrophy, it was relatively expected that if you increase the amount of volume and you equate the volume between two conditions, those two conditions are going to have higher levels of muscle hypertrophy. This is actually something that has been touched on pretty recently by researchers like Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, who's done a few different studies on this topic, and he has shown the exact same results. Now, they also mentioned this actually in their paper. They mentioned a few other studies that also corroborated this. So, in terms of that, it's not incredibly surprising. So if you do less volume, you're going to see less muscle hypertrophy based off of this study and actually a few other studies. As a final note on this, they did mention in this paper some of the other studies that have also found discrepancies, so having lower volume and still seeing the same amount of muscle hypertrophy. Now, in this study they mentioned, and I quote, However, these authors observed the same muscle hypertrophy even in groups who performed a lower amount of total work. The possible discrepancies between these studies could be explained by the different training protocols used and the different populations studied, i.e. men versus women. And I think that's incredibly telling mainly because we mentioned that at the beginning of uh, this content that uh, if you are just going to be measuring women, 
it's difficult to necessarily extrapolate that out to men. And I think that's actually more true for men to women, mainly because most of the studies in the past have been essentially all in men, and some of them have been combined men and women, and now we're starting to try and catch up and add more studies that are specific to women. So if I necessarily buy that uh, the difference is in sex, not necessarily, but it could be a reason, and it could be many, many other reasons. As for example, their experimental measures could have been completely different, or didn't account for edema, or whatever it might be. There are a series of different things that could be causing this discrepancy, but it's good that they actually mentioned this study at least, so that you have some idea of both sides of the story. And finally, one rep max. I don't really have too much to add here. Essentially that if you work out, if you haven't worked out in the last six months and then you work out, your one rep max increases across all conditions. Uh, doesn't, doesn't really surprise me all that much. Uh, I think, again, if the discrepancy in the amount of volume, maybe if, the, if one group had only done one set and the other two groups had done four or five sets, you probably would see a difference in one rep max between conditions, between groups, but because it was just a, a one set cutback as opposed to four or five or ten, uh, I think in that situation uh, you're not going to see uh, much of a difference, and especially if it only extends out to 10 weeks. I think as you become more of an intermediate lifter and a, an advanced lifter, then it might make a little bit more of a difference. So in terms of how I would grade this paper, I would give it probably something like an A-. minus. I think overall it's a solid paper. It's a really simple paper. They just did a few measures. They wanted to figure out if this was going to be the case for women specifically as opposed to many other studies that have looked at men exclusively or a combination of the two. So it's a nice gap filler, kind of fills in a void that may have been needed. Uh, is it groundbreaking? No, it's not. But it's a good paper. There are a few small things that would have changed like the preacher curls and the nutrition, but aside from that I think it's a great paper. And with that said, hopefully you found this uh, piece of content informative. And if you have opinions, if you'd like to read the paper yourself, of course I have it linked. It is open access, so you should have access to the entire paper and you can make your own opinions about it and certainly let me know in the comments section or wherever you are consuming this. And I hope that I have the pleasure of speaking with you in the very next one. Have a good one. Bye.